for your glory. We thank you, Father, for giving us your word. And we ask now that you would grant us the grace we need to understand your word and by the power of your spirit to put it into action in our daily lives. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I want you to get excited today because, in case you don't know it, in a very real sense, you have insider trading information. I know insider information is a crime on the stock market. I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure exactly how it works. I don't really pay attention to the financial markets and the ins and outs of that world. But I know it's a bad thing. You can go to jail if you know something secret that other stockholders don't and you use that information for your own financial gain. I know you go to jail and get in big trouble. But you have inside information as a Christian into the will of God. That's, that's powerful information. It's not available to non-believers. It simply is not. And when we think of this third petition of the Lord's Prayer as we work our way slowly through it, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As I said about the other petitions, we've all said that prayer so many times that we just um, run through it and not realize how earth-shattering each of those petitions is. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I once heard of a man, it's a fairly common type of story, who had to make a great, powerful, momentous decision in his life, a career change. He was a lawyer. It's a perfectly honorable profession, if you do it honorably. He came from a family of lawyers, and the family had a, a high-powered law firm. It was an historic law firm. And there was some pressure in the family. The whole family was lawyers. All the sons, the daughters, they were all lawyers. Dad, grandfather, all lawyers. He was expected you would be a lawyer. And he was a good lawyer. And I should, I should mention, this is a family of believers, a family of Christian lawyers. And this fellow started to get the sense that God was calling him into the ministry. I can assure you that's a, that's a strange feeling when the Lord starts to place it on a man's heart that he's supposed to go into the ministry. It's something that is very difficult to describe to anybody who hasn't been called to the ministry. You don't hear voices. You don't hear bells. You're not awoken in the middle of the night with a big billboard flashing. You just kind of start to get the sense and God begins to move in your life in a strange way that you start to realize, okay, this is really what you want me to do? Okay. And he was nervous about making this decision. So he went to his father and basically he wanted his daddy to make the decision for him. He wanted his father to tell him, no, you stay right here and be a lawyer. You can be a deacon, you can be an elder, but you stay right here and be a lawyer. And the father had already decided that it wasn't his decision to make. And he told the son, listen, you're, you're a fine lawyer. You're a fine lawyer. And I have no doubt that if God's calling you into the pastorate, that you'll be a fine pastor as well. But this is a matter for you and the father. This is something you have to decide. I can't decide it for you. You're a, you're a big boy now. It wasn't exactly what the man wanted to hear. I'll wait till the end of the sermon to tell you how, how it ended. But we have decisions to make like this, don't we? Maybe not of a career change or an address change, but we have decisions to make. Christ was in this position one time before. 
He had a much greater decision to make than this a lawyer had to make. You remember on the night in which he was betrayed, he's in Gethsemane. It's historical. He's man, fully God, fully man. And his humanity does not want to go to that cross. He does not want to suffer. It would be irrational to want that. To want the wrath of God for the sins of the world to be placed on one man's back for six hours. Who in their right mind would want that to occur to himself? And he's on his knees in Gethsemane disciples that he's left behind, his three best buddies, and they can't stay awake even an hour with him. He's, they've fallen asleep. And he's begging God, Father, if it's possible, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. He really didn't want to die. He certainly didn't want to die in that moment for you. That was his moment of pain and anguish. Then after three times going back and forth with his disciples, his spiritual battle is over. It reaches its climax and he says, Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. And he gets up, walks out, and he faces that mob. And we know what else happened. We'll never have to make that decision. Christ made it for us. But we do have decisions to make. And the biggest decision we have to make every moment of every day is whether or not we will choose, whether we will decide to know God's will, to obey God's will, and to submit to God's will. We have to do it all the time. It's a constant battle whether we know it or not. Now, sometimes the battle is very intense and sometimes it's not. I don't want you to think that you have to analyze every single action you do. If you're going to come to church on a Sunday and you're deciding whether or not to wear a navy blue suit or a charcoal gray suit, it's really, it's of no great importance. If you're choosing to wear a mauve, that's a color, correct? A mauve dress or a, a white dress and they're both in season, it's of no great import, ladies, which one you choose. It's not. Do you want to wear a white shirt or a a cream colored shirt? It's not of great importance. You do not have to analyze everything and say, is it God's will that I wear this blue tie today? It's not. You you can wear a blue tie. You can wear a purple tie. Try and make it match, but even if it doesn't, it's no great crime. But we have to decide in the moral realm whether we're going to walk by God's ways or whether we're going to do it our own way. And it's really very easy to do it our own way. It just is. It's more fun. Don't you like getting your own way? I do. It's, it's a wonderful experience when people do exactly what you want them to do. It's a fantastic experience, especially when they don't complain. That doesn't happen too often in this world, but it's a wonderful thing. One of my brothers used to have a... He wasn't supposed to, but he took a bumper sticker and plastered it on his bedroom door, which was a no-no, but once the bumper sticker is on the door, it's not going to come off. And it said, be reasonable, do it my way. I thought it was funny. My mother didn't think it was funny, but uh, the landlord didn't think it was funny, but it was, it was funny. Be reasonable, do it my way. We often say the same thing to God. Be reasonable, God. Let me do it my way. Let my will be done. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Every time you or I sin, 
That's what we're really doing. That's the essence of it. We are imposing our will upon the Heavenly Father. When we sin, we are saying, my will be done, not thine will be done. Now, I leave it up to your decision whether or not that is crazy. The God who has always existed, this completely powerful, self-existent, self-sufficient God, we are at any given moment in our lives going to tell him what we want to do and it's going to be against his will. Does that sound sane to you? No, it doesn't. And I promise you, if the Father were to manifest somehow his spiritual power visibly to us at a moment when we had to make a a, a moral decision, I promise you, I promise you, you would not make the wrong decision because you would be filled with awe and you would be filled with a good fear, a holy terror. What did Jesus say in that passage from our reading in Matthew? Don't fear those who can kill the body and cannot do any more. Then he says this, I will show you who to fear. I'll show you who to fear. The Father who is able to kill both body and soul in hell forever. That's who we should fear. It's in our rational self-interest to obey God's will. He just knows more than we do. He's more powerful than we do. And he loves us. It's difficult sometimes to convince people, isn't it, to do the right thing. How many of us have heard or have said to someone, I'm telling you this for your own good. Please, if you do this, I can promise you these things might happen. If you do that, I guarantee you this will happen. And it breaks our heart when they don't take our advice and things go askew in their life. It hurts us. And we don't like to say, I told you so. Usually we don't like to tell that. Because sometimes we know more than another person. We might just have more experience in a particular field. We might be just simply older. Sometimes just years are supposed to give you experience. So it's only common sense that someone who is, let's say, 50 knows more than someone who's 10. You just have more practical experience. You have more information, more data at your disposal. It makes sense to listen to people who know what they're talking about. And I think we're going to agree that the Father knows what he is talking about. We make mistakes. We give people advice, and it's wrong. All right? And then we have to apologize for it. We make mistakes. We think we're experts in a field when we're brutally, it's brutally obvious that we're not. But I think we can presuppose that the Father is an expert on everything. He's created everything. He knows everything. Nothing surprises him. His data is um, unsurpassed because he creates the data. We don't create the data. We get it and we interpret it. He creates it. So he has a totally different viewpoint than we do. He interprets facts much differently than we do. He has no filters over them. If you're trying to figure out what that looks like, don't, because you'll drive yourself crazy. We're not God. We're not God. But he is giving us the privilege of knowing his will. Would you like to know his will? 
if I had some really a nice secret for you in this respect, would you like to know it? Okay. You can know God's will because this prayer, this petition, implicitly states that we can know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We've already done those. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. I skipped on. I did that last week. Thy kingdom come, now today. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First thing we have to ask is, how, how, how is God's will done in heaven? By the angels and by the spirits of those who have gone before us in the Lord. How is God's will effected in heaven? How does it, what does it look like? Are there any problems there? No. It's done perfectly. So what we're asking is that God's will would be done perfectly on this planet. In heaven, everything is perfect. Yes, our brothers and sisters who have gone before us, they are incomplete in that their bodies are separated from their spirits and their bodies are awaiting the resurrection. Everything will be perfect once the resurrection occurs and are perfect, glorified, healthy, never to be sick, never to hurt, never to die bodies are reunited with our already perfected souls. That's when everything will be done. And we will enter into heaven where sin is a moral impossibility. But right now, your brothers and sisters, your loved ones who have gone before you in the Lord, they're worshiping God in a perfect manner. It's impossible for them to sin. They perfectly do God's will, as do the angels who are in heaven. So when we ask God, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking for something very stupendous to happen. We're not asking God to reveal to us, should I wear the blue suit or the black suit? We're asking him that his moral will would be accomplished perfectly on this fallen planet. Maybe you've never thought about it that way, but that's what we're asking. As I said, sometimes we can say this Lord's Prayer so many times over the years, most of us learn it when we're, when we're school children, and we, uh, it's only natural, it's not good, but it's natural that we kind of say it by rote, and we don't ponder it. And that's what the sermon's about, to look at these petitions one by one and really See what Christ is telling us to say. Christ is telling us to say this, to ask the Father that his will is done. Now let me ask you this. Can you do something that you don't know? I mean, is it possible? If you don't know what a car is, is it possible for you to drive it? Have you ever tried to explain what snow is to someone who's never seen it? It's, it's, it's not very easy to do. Try, try explaining the taste of an orange to someone who has no sense of taste. How could you possibly do it? They have no ability to know what the orange will taste like because their taste buds don't function. And there are some people who have that affliction. I had a very good friend who had no sense of smell. Had to have his house layered in smoke detectors because he couldn't smell anything. He was terribly afraid that a fire was going to happen and he wouldn't, wouldn't smell anything. Try explaining something to somebody that they don't have the capacity to know. It's, it's, it, you can't do it. So if Christ is telling us to ask the Father 
that his will would be done, then we have to be able to know what the Father's will is. Now, the question is, where do we find that will? Where do we find what the desires of God are? At a pirate game? Maybe. Steeler game? Maybe. Family barbecue? It's possible. In our own bedroom at prayer? Okay, maybe a better shot there. Studying our Bibles? Now we're getting somewhere. God has revealed to us His will in His Word. His will is here for us to read, to listen to, to understand. It's here. Why don't we look into it? If God's secrets are here, they're here, right here. It's a thousand some odd pages. And even if you just stuck with your New Testament, it's a couple hundred pages. The secrets of the universe are here. If the secret key to history is right here, why don't we open it up? We each have to decide what that answer is. But here's the big answer. It's spiritual warfare. The evil one does not want you to open up this book. He does not. Because this is called the sword of the spirit. When Paul is talking to the Ephesians about the armor of God, he calls the the word of God the sword of the spirit. A sword is a weapon in the ancient world. People don't fight with swords anymore. We've turned it into an Olympic sport. You know, guys dress up in white tights. It's actually a very hard thing to do, and they, they fence each other. They might get hurt, but I don't think it's possible. I've never fenced, but I don't think it's possible to actually die in a fencing match because you have all these pads on, and I believe the blades have a little nub on them. You're not out there trying to actually hurt the person. It's a sword of the spirit. We work warfare with this, but again, with a sword, if you put a sword into the hand of someone in the ancient world and they didn't know what it was and they didn't understand that they had to fight with it, what would they do with it? Use it as a hammer, use it as a toy, use it as a, an ancient screwdriver? Possible. They have to know what it is. This Bible is your weapon in the spirit world. It's your weapon against sin. So when we read it, when we listen to it, if you don't like to read, buy it on CDs. Buy it on MP3s. When we read it, it cuts us. It cuts us like a surgeon's scalpel. It's not pleasant, but we know that the effect will be done properly because God is an expert surgeon. Human surgeons make mistakes. God makes no mistakes. His will is perfect. Now, His will... You have to pay careful attention here. Get a little philosophical on you just for a minute. God's will has two parts to it. It's not really hard to understand, but I might have to use some highfalutin sound words. One aspect of God's will is what we call his perceptive will. Not his perceptive, but his precepts, his laws. They're right here. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You know it. It's right there. You don't have to figure it out. Thou shalt not do on any lawful killing. Thou shalt not steal. You don't have to work, think too hard about, should I steal that car? Should I take off early from work and have my friend punch me out? That's stealing. 
Should I take a little bit of extra money? Should I dock the pay of my employees and keep a little bit more for myself? That's stealing. You don't have to dwell too long on those things. They're obvious. Thou shalt not steal. You know that. It's right here. It's his precepts, his laws, his commandments, his statutes. Then there's another part of God's will called his decretive will. You can't get there. I can't get there. You cannot get into the secret counsels of God in eternity. We don't have the right um, passport. If you go into a certain, um, get a stamp on your hand, go into a, into a party, you don't have the right pass. don't have the invitation. That's it. You don't have an invitation. You don't have the RSVP. Deuteronomy 29, 29. You know it yet? It's one of my favorite verses. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children. The things that are revealed are difficult enough to enact in our life. Too many of us wait way too long and waste so much time trying to figure out the decretive will of God, to try and figure out his secret counsels. Don't waste any more time. You can't get into eternity. You have a birth date, right? You have a birth date. God doesn't have a birthday. He's always existed. You're not capable, nor am I, of getting in there. Some people have this understanding, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to know everything. Really? Well, if you know everything, you'll be God. You're not going to be God in heaven. You'll always be a creature, a perfectly moral creature, but you're not going to know everything. When we look at um, a rose bush, we think of certain things. If we're allergic to them, we're going to sneeze. We know that we shouldn't run into them because of the thorns, but we marvel at them because they are beautiful flowers. They're beautiful. Even if we're allergic to them, we can admit, ah, that's a pretty thing. God made something beautiful there. But when God looks at a rose, he's looking at it. He can see it in a way before it was ever created. So he knows it as it is in itself. We only know it as we can see it and look at it. So his knowledge is categorically different than ours. And the fact that God is allowing us to know anything about his will is a cause for great excitement. Do you know how wonderful it is that God tells you, thou shalt not murder? What would the world look like if that wasn't on the books? It's a violent world as it is. It's a nasty, dark world as it is. People do horrible things as it is. Imagine if there was no law against it. What would the world look like? It would would look like a very dark Hollywood movie. It would be uglier than we could ever dream. You can know God's will by looking into his word. And then once you know it, you have the privilege and the duty of obeying it. You have to know the word and then you have to obey it. You have to spend a lot of time here. This isn't an option for us. If God says thou shalt not steal, you can't steal. You agree with your employer. I'll punch in at eight. Boom. You're there at eight. I'll take a half hour lunch break. I won't have my friends play with the time card. I won't shoplift. I won't do insider trading. Don't steal. 
Don't covet. Mm, that's a little harder to do. Stealing is something you can refrain from, right? You just don't take something that's somebody else's. You just physically don't do it. Not coveting is a little more tricky. It's a little more tricky because mm, nobody sees it doing it. There's no, not going to be any public shame because you can hide it. But we're not allowed to covet anything that our neighbor has. Anything our neighbor has. Not his wife, not his car, not her husband, not her house, not her health, not her intelligence, not their career. Nothing. Nothing. We can say to ourselves, you know what? I could have that if I worked like he or she did. That's totally different than coveting. That's being um, motivated by someone else's example. That's totally different than coveting. Coveting is when you just look and say, yeah, I should have that. I should have that. I, God owes me that. Now, God doesn't owe us anything. He didn't even have to create us. He certainly didn't have to save us from our sin. Are you appreciative of that? It's a good thing to know when things are not to be done. Like I said, we lost our power for, for a day. And that storm came through. It didn't last very long, did it? But it really came through. And when my son and I were coming back from buying him some new sneakers, we realized, ooh, we, we missed that storm, thankfully. There's trees down, there's leaves every place, and the lights were flashing yellow on one side and flashing red on the other. That's comforting. You realize, okay, I have to slow down. And hopefully the other people realize the flashing red, they're supposed to stop. It's comforting to know that things are organized at that intersection. Because if it wasn't, more accidents could occur. And I think we all want to avoid accidents. So when God tells us his law, it's a great thing. We need to get excited about the fact that God tells us you shall have no other gods before us. He doesn't leave it up to us to guess what God should I serve. Should I serve this God of metal? Should I serve that God of stone? Oh, that wood one looks nice. No, we're to worship the living God. He's told us. We have to obey it. Now, submitting to God's will, that's a little different. You might be wondering, what's the difference between obeying God's will and submitting God's will? We obey what God has revealed to us. We submit to what God does not reveal to us. I don't have a crystal ball. None of us do. When things happen to us and we don't understand them, like Job, we have to submit to God's providence. I thought about that a lot when my lights were out for a, for a, for a, for a day. It made me realize, boy, I really am. A, I really do enjoy electricity. This is this is a good thing that somebody figured out how to do this. I don't know how it works, and I don't care. I just want it back on. I realized I was a little bit of a slave to electricity. It's a great comfort, but it made me realize. I started thinking, you know what? A lot of people don't have electricity. They don't even know what it is. They're going to live in abject poverty their whole life. And I'm concerned that the meat in the freezer will go bad. Now, I don't want the meat in the freezer to go bad. It'd be a waste. I paid for it. But, you know what? If all we have to worry about is the electricity going out for a day, 
then the lines have fallen for us in a very pleasant place. And we have to submit to it when God removes something pleasant from our lives. We also have to submit to the blessings God gives us. When God puts us through a hard time, sometimes it's easier to submit because we're, we realize, oh, I'm human. I have this illness. I, I am, I'm at your mercy, God. When you're ill or something bad's gone wrong in your life, you turn to God because you realize, I have nowhere else to go. When things are going well, when God is blessing us financially or spiritually or materially, sometimes it's easy for us to take our eyes off of him because things are going very, very well. This is that decretive will of God, that secret counsel of God. The best answer you can give to someone almost every time when they ask you, why did this happen, is I don't know. Don't try and come up with an answer because it just hurts more. I don't know is an honest answer. Don't put a band-aid on a bleeding artery. It's cruel to say, I don't know, but I'm here for you. I don't know. I'm not God. Submitting to God's will is hard to do. But when we pray, thy will be done. We're asking God to do what he wants and that we'll willingly submit to it. Now that lawyer decided to stay a lawyer. He also decided to become a pastor. He realized, hey, I can do both. I already have my law degree. Well, seminary, if you have a law degree, seminaries going to be a different kind of challenge, but you'll probably be able to handle it. You can handle law, you can probably handle classical Hebrew. might not be fun, but you can handle it. So he decided to get his MDiv and become like a part-time pastor, a very, very knowledgeable part-time pastor, and he earned his living as a lawyer because he realized, you know what, I can make a lot more money as a lawyer. That's just a practical decision. Lawyers make more money than pastors, generally speaking. And he realized, but I can serve God's people in both, both ways. When you come to a decision to make about God's will, the first thing you have to decide is, is it lawful? Is it against God's rules? If it's not, then you're allowed to do it. If it is against his rules, you're not allowed to do it. You just have to obey. When we pray, thy will be done, God is giving us access to his will. Do you want to know it? Do you want to obey it? And are you willing to submit to it? Only you can make that decision for yourself. And I pray that you make the right decision. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord our God, we do thank you and praise you for your will. We acknowledge it is very mysterious sometimes and we grow confused. But we ask, Lord, for literally the patience of Job that you would give us the grace we need to submit to the things that we don't understand, to obey the things that you have revealed to us, and to seek after the knowledge of those things that you have granted us knowledge of. In Jesus' precious name, amen.